0: When I graduated from residency, I knew a lot about disease, but I didn't know anything about medicine.
1: What healthcare leaders can do to relieve the administrative burden on physicians today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Grotto. And today we're going to be talking about what physicians don't learn in medical school. I'll be talking with a physician leader and a consultant who partners with healthcare organizations on matters like compensation, performance improvement, and others. Later, I'll be talking with a couple of our HFMA folks about a new educational product we're offering that can help all of our learners do their jobs better. But first, let's find out what's happening in the news. Here's Nick Hutt and Sean Stack. Hey
2: everybody, this is Nick Hutt. In this episode, Sean and I are gonna talk Provider Relief Fund. And you know, in the context of the pandemic, this is certainly a, a big money, high stakes topic. Dating back to April of 2020, HHS and HERSA have doled out more than $100 billion in general distribution payments, plus billions more in targeted payments. And after a longer-than-expected wait of about eight months since the previous distribution in late 2020, HHS in September finally announced that more than $25 billion will be allocated in a phase four distribution. The application period for that began in late September and runs through October 26th. So, Sean, what are the advantages in the upcoming distribution for smaller hospitals if there are any advantages and what what insight can you provide about tweaks to the distribution formula for this round?
3: Yeah, Nick, this, this round's taking a little bit of a different approach. This phase four distribution is set to reimburse smaller providers at a much higher rate than larger providers um, for changes in operating revenues and expenditures. They also, it has a um, bonus payments for those providers who service Medicaid CHIPS program and Medicare patients living in the federal office of rural health policies define rural areas. So in the phase four of the distribution, reported revenues and expenses are subject to adjustments based on prepayment risk mitigation and cost containment safeguards. And then there is a deduction for prior PRF payments, not previously deducted in phase three. So the distribution of phase fours 17 billion in funds consist of two basically two components. 75% of it or 12.75 billion is being allocated based on changes in revenues and expenses, while 25% of it or around 4.25 billion is being allocated based on level of participation in Medicare, Medicaid, and the CHIPS program. So HERSA calculates this funding in this area using CMS claims data, and the calculation is not tied to changes in operating revenues and expenses due to COVID. So that's quite a change.
2: Yeah, well, thanks a lot for for that breakdown. And we also wanna note that $8.5 billion and the upcoming allocation has been earmarked specifically for rural hospitals, and they can actually apply for both that separate pool of funding and the $17 billion general distribution. Now, the other big news about the Provider Relief Fund is, quite frankly, more of a drag to talk about than new funding, and that's the ongoing reporting process for previous distributions. For funds received by June 30th of last year, 2020, providers technically had to spend that money by June 30th of this year and then report on that spending by September 30th. Now, HHS did extend a 60-day grace period during which they will not recoup any unspent funds. For providers that fail to meet the reporting requirements that grace period runs through November and Sean I know you followed all this regulatory drama for lack of a better word closely as best you can in the fairly limited time we have what are the big areas of concern here
3: providers are still struggling to navigate the complexities of reporting on these losses and expenditures and you know hhs i feel has really stepped up their game on their faqs and getting those out more timely at least to providers but you know for example one of the latest september 29th faqs in that hhs clarified that lost revenues may include other income not derived from the delivery of healthcare services So, for instance, decreases in tax revenue and non-federal government grant funding. You know, clarifications like this provided health systems additional considerations to assist them offset some of the impacts of the pandemic. However, HHS just released another FAQ the same date, stating that tax-exempt organizations that receive federal, state, or local grant funds that if they reported those on line eight of their 990 they couldn't include the revenue on the application so there are a great deal of caveats and details that providers must carefully consider when seeking the funds and these factors are really weighing heavily on the health systems as they race against the the reporting and, and attestation timelines so it is quite a bit to wade through
2: yeah without a doubt well thanks john that's really helpful insight Upcoming dates to keep in mind include December 31st of this year, 2021, that's the spending deadline for funds received during the second half of 2020. And then reporting for those distributions will take place during the first three months of 2022. And Sean and I and our colleagues at HFMA will be keeping you posted on all these deadlines and related developments. You can find our coverage at hfma.org slash news.
1: In April of this year, senior editor Nick Hutt reported on a Medscape survey of more than 12,000 physicians that found 42% of respondents felt burned out during the second half of 2020. That's not a big surprise given the stresses of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, the survey also found that the most frequently cited source of burnout was, quote, too many bureaucratic tasks, end quote. Those tasks are what we're talking about today. And I have two guests who will be sharing their perspective. Dr. Glenn Hardesty is the System Consultant for Medical Staff Services and Medical Director for the Physician Leadership Development Program at Texas Health. He's also a practicing emergency physician. So he spends time in both the clinical and administrative worlds. Stu Schaff is Founder and Principal at Intentionate Healthcare Advisors. And if you're an HFM reader, you might've seen his article in the June issue about physician compensation, which we get into a little bit today. According to both of them, the problem really does start in med school. We'll start with my conversation with Dr. Hardesty. What do you think are the biggest things that surprise physicians, that frustrate physicians when they come into the job or maybe when they've been in it a while and they realize that they have to learn about kind of the business piece of healthcare? What do you think are the biggest knowledge gaps and how can we start to address those gaps?
0: Well, the knowledge gap come from in med school, we never learned anything about leadership We never learned anything about business. We learned about science. When I graduated from residency, I knew a lot about disease, but I didn't know anything about medicine. To your point, that's what we need to bring into the curriculum is the business aspect of medicine and the leadership aspect of medicine. Because both of those are going to intersect you. You're going to have to learn that you know, medicine isn't an individual sport. It's a team sport. And we were never taught how to play as a team in medical school. It was all as individuals. From the business perspective, there are several ways you can go about doing that. There are some programs um, that I know HMFA has, and we have in- incorporated some of those into our, into our leadership development program. Or you can go all the way to the extreme of going back to business school. There's a continuum there that physicians need to need to understand the you know the business of medicine, and that's you know learning the numbers, knowing how other people are looking at medicine. you may think of yourself as a great doctor, but if it turns out that you're not cost effective, you're not efficient, in effect, you're not a great doctor because more and more of the cost is being shifted back to the patients who really do care about what things cost, not just, you know, is, is my doctor the best? And so you, you have to look out for all those things as well, because the financial aspect has a lot to do with patients' well-being.
1: After hearing Dr. Hardesy's take on what physicians should be thinking about, I wanted to find some ways that physicians can be supported by their employers. And this is where I brought in Stu Schaff. How can provider organizations get this right? Is it training? Is it education? Is it taking some of these responsibilities away or simply being more clear about expectations when a physician comes into the organization?
4: Expectations are very important. And we'll come back to that in just a second here. But I want to start by talking about where we are today. So I do extensive work around physician compensation design. and. Many, many hospitals and health systems and other organizations have tried to address these kinds of things, address the levers in their business through physician compensation. There's a lot of talk about incentive compensation, aligning incentives through compensation. Um, In a fee-for-service system, if you want to make more revenue as an organization, you have to do more. And so we incentivize physicians to do more right? Uh, And that's just an overly simplified example. But what we ended up doing as a healthcare system, broadly, is that we've gone to a place where we try to manage physicians through compensation instead of managing them through management like any other kind of employee. What I think we need to do as a system, as an industry, is to start looking at physicians and other healthcare providers like any other employee. Now, they're certainly not just any other employee, but we need to start treating them more like we treat our other employees. And there's a few examples of that. Number one, we need to set very clear expectations for what physicians need to be doing. And that may be many things, right? We expect them to do coding. On their patients and have great documentation uh, in EMRs. We expect them to be involved in care coordination. We expect them to show up to clinics as scheduled. And those things sound very simple and straightforward. And, and frankly, the right things will sound simple and straightforward. So setting those expectations and then frequently telling them how they're doing scorecards are huge. We want to make, keep things as straightforward as possible, but we want to be timely in our feedback. Help them understand the why of what we're asking of them. What we're talking about here is, is actually managing physicians. And you may want to have physicians in those roles or at least in, in, involved in that management. Physician leadership is very important. Taking things off their plate And then getting out of their way so that they can practice really good medicine, giving them time and space to do the things that we ask of them. So if you are, in fact, piling on more responsibility, does that mean that you're going to be asking them to work after hours? Or does that mean maybe we need to call off a clinic? Asking them how they might need help. That sounds like so broad but it's something that we often don't stop to do.
1: Of course, I'd ask Dr. Hardesty about this issue as well. When you have a physician coming into an organization and realizing the job is different than they expected, that physician has to somehow be set up for success, to be educated, to be supported. Here's what he had to say about that.
0: When you look at uh, well-being, and we've transitioned the word burnout to well-being, focusing on the positive rather than, than, than the negative, EMR is a electronic medical record is a stressor on well-being. And one of the greatest stressors of well-being is that additional documentation. You know, we have several EMRs available and none seem to really have the end user in mind. So I think at some point when physician productivity and, and burnout and people really begin to believe and understand that there is a relationship between well-being and patient outcomes that is undeniable in the literature. That we'll be able to start to address some of these things, you know, through as the EMR to be more efficient for the end user. There was one study showed there was for emergency department physician is over 5,000 clicks in a shift. It's kind of unfathomable, but yeah. So I think advancing of the software uh, and advancing of the platforms and looking at things for the end user will help with that at some point uh, when we get there. Other than that, we need to prepare physicians better to come into the world that they're going to come into. It's not just about knowing how many cranial nerves and what they do, but rather you know how that relates to a patient as a whole, how that relates to the whole medical ecosystem. And that comes into knowing the business aspects of medicine and also the leadership that is required. It's much easier to fly with the wind than it is against the wind.
1: One way Texas Health works to support its physicians is through its Physician Leadership Development Program. Dr. Hardesty mentioned earlier that leadership development isn't a big part of physician training, This program aims to close that gap and put physicians into the mindset of medicine as a team sport. You
0: know, Texas Health has made a commitment to physician leadership development, knowing that it's a huge gap in our training. We were never trained to be leaders, yet when a physician is in a committee or is in a group of non-physicians, they're by default the leader whether they, whether they realize that or not, and whether it's the meeting leader or whether it's a subject matter expert leader, they're a leader of some kind. And we have all been trained by bad leaders. And I say that because the people that trained us were never taught leadership skills. So we've made a commitment to have a year-long leadership development program, and we are starting our seventh cohort tomorrow morning. So we have trained over three hundred physicians uh in our year long program to focus on getting to know themselves, taking several psychometric instruments, getting to understand who you are, and learning about others who they are, and putting those together to lead with exceptional results and I know that how that sounds or that could sound, but it's what we're it's what we're doing, and we're finding that the physicians that Come out from this now have the tools and skill sets to lead in places where they were previously untrained the physicians that come out of this program now are more aligned with the system they understand they also meet people from across the system and it builds a better medical staff it builds a better Collegial environment. We focus a lot on collegial environment. We focus a lot on interaction. It's not just about the informational download from the speakers that we bring in.
1: This is a big topic, and the conversation can go in any number of directions. But the thing that really struck me was what Dr. Hardesty said about well being. As he mentioned, he doesn't like to use the word burnout, he prefers to focus on the positive. And that feels like a really powerful thing. We know burnout is bad, but the absence of it doesn't necessarily mean things are great. So finding ways to support physicians, setting clear expectations and giving them the tools, the training, the time they need to do their jobs well is something to always be working toward. So if your organization has a great program in place or is having good conversations about this and including physicians in those conversations, let us know at podcast at hfma.org. I would love to hear your stories. If you're an HFMA member, it's likely you've engaged in education with us. Maybe you have a certification, maybe you've come to our events, but today I'm excited to talk to you about something new. We've been working on our premium facilitated learning. It's a combination of self-directed study and work with a course facilitator to give learners a deep dive on a topic they're studying. Here to discuss this new educational offering are Sue Spear. HFMA's director of digital learning platforms, and Todd Nelson, HFMA's director of professional practice and partner relationships. So Sue, tell me a little bit about the premium facilitated education. What is it? What can people expect?
5: We're excited to offer this premium facilitated learning as somewhat of a replacement for professional development programs we've offered in the past. Some people might remember we had face-to-face seminars that allowed people to get together with a cohort of peers and spend a couple days on a deep dive on a particular topic. What we're trying to do is replicate that to some extent using a more virtual platform. We're hoping that this combination of some self-directed study along with some peer-to-peer learning along with some facilitated instruction is going to fill a real niche for allowing people to explore particular
6: topics in a lot more detail. This program is differentiated from current programs that we offer in our LMS, in that there is that live facilitated part with an expert that helps walk you through those exercises and really solidifies the content. Plus the exercises that individuals will go through are a deeper dive. They're more complicated, they're more complex. They're going to help you not just learn the concepts, but do exercises that apply the concepts so you can immediately use them back at your work.
1: HFMA has a pretty wide variety of educational offerings. And I know it can probably be pretty overwhelming when you're looking around to try to figure out which one is right for you. So who was this particular product designed for?
6: Since there's a variety of different topics, this product is designed specifically for a person that wants to hone those skills. It's not necessarily the seasoned executive, probably not the CFO, but it's designed for their team. So if you look at a leveraging budgeting and reporting, um, that's designed for anyone in the healthcare system that needs to learn budgeting and reporting and understand their role and be able to perform those exercises. Other courses are going to be designed very specifically, something maybe in the revenue cycle area that's very specific to coordination of benefits, for instance, or denials management would be a good example that you can determine who the appropriate audience would be.
5: And Todd, I think the other thing we want to make sure people understand or know is These are also useful for those that are in the business partner space of the industry who wanna learn more about a particular topic. We're also looking at potentially those that are in more of the clinical space who need to have knowledge of a particular topic, maybe not as in depth as the traditional core HFMA finance person, but, They need to have some information so they can prepare budgets and work
6: collaboratively with their finance team members. And I would say it's not only meant for individuals, but it's meant for organizations as well. So people could send a team to these courses. And frankly, because it's premium facilitated learning... It also fits under our organizational onsites and those types of products that we offer. So you may see this as an individual in-home thing that you want to take as a person, or you may say, well, I'd love to have my team involved in this. This would be great to bring this onsite to my organization. And that's an option as well.
1: Sue and Todd, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
6: Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Erica.
1: If you'd like to know about the courses we're currently offering, take a look at our website, hfma.org. I'll also post a link in the show notes to an article from a recent issue of HFM that describes this opportunity. We have three courses beginning in November. So take a look now, sign up and let us know what you think. Voices in Healthcare Finance is produced by the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is our director of content strategy. Our president and CEO is Joe Pfeiffer. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. You don't wanna miss this one. So hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and maybe give it a listen on your way to Minneapolis for our annual conference. In the meantime, let us know what you wanna hear. You can email our team at podcast at